You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! I know Kung Fu. Show me. I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? I want you to hit me as hard as you can. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Welcome to the John Weldon Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast or the video podcast if you're watching. And uh, I'm here, Jonathan Welton, with uh, Kevin Dedman today. And he's joining me from California. And I am honored to have my friend, Kevin Dedman, on. Uh, Kevin is one of these people that he's become a really real person. He's been to hell and back. And I've been to hell and back. And when I started my journey into hell, Kevin reached out. And that that has always and always will mean the world to me. He reached out privately through Facebook and was like, hey, here's my number. I'm here if you need me. I, I actually called him up right away. I don't think we had spoken in uh, probably 10 years or something. We We were on Sid Roth together and we met at the Sid Roth Studios. And I hadn't seen you since, and you reached out right away when my world was collapsing, and you were there for phone call after phone call to encourage, to challenge, to call BS, to all of it. It was it was really wonderful, and I, I will always hold that so uh, dear to my heart. And so I'm thrilled to have you here to talk today. We're going to get into the topic of living a thrive life, and... Uh, I would just love to hear your journey and your story and what you want to share of your process as well. And so the floor is yours, Kevin. Good to have you. Hey, well, thanks a lot, Jonathan. And, and you know, the, the feelings on my part are mutual. Uh, I am so proud of you and excited to be part of your journey. And this is a journey we're on. And, you know, a lot of people think that repentance is an event, but repentance is actually a journey that has fruit to it. And the fruit that I've seen in your life over the last five years has just been absolutely amazing, miraculous. I mean, to me, this is more miraculous what's happened in my life and your life, more than even healing cancer. Because most of the time the church doesn't go after this, they go after discipline, but they don't necessarily go after restoration and restoration that leads to somebody thriving in their life. And so, that's why I really wanted to talk about this subject today, because I feel like it's a neglected subject in the church, but it needs to be out there. It needs to be presented to the, the revivalist community that there's more than just signs and wonders and miracles. Yes, that's absolutely important. There's more than just having, you know, visions and dreams and having revelations and hearing great messages, going to great conferences. There's got to be more that filters down into every compartment of our life, every sphere of our life. And, and so when we're talking about Thrive Life, we're really talking about living well. We're talking about living an abundance of life, eternal life right here and now, not waiting till we get to heaven, but actually your kingdom come, your will be done in my life right here, right now, as it is in heaven. And so Thrive Life is really all about, you know, what Jesus talked about in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he said, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and to destroy, but I've come that you might 
have life and have it to the full, abundant life. And it's interesting, you know, we know that the enemy always comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We've all experienced that in our lives. And I want to talk a little bit about that in just a few minutes. But but we don't what we don't realize is that the abundant life is actually conditional. It's not we will have abundant life in every area of our life, but we might have abundant life. And the reality is we've got to partner with Holy Spirit to walk in all truth so that we can be set free more and more and more. And this isn't just an event in our life, but it's a lifelong journey in which we're encountering more of his presence, more of his power to not just heal our bodies, but to heal uh, our souls, to, to heal our minds, to, to heal past traumas in our lives, to heal our sin, to, to help us to live like God lives in heaven in well-being. You know, well-being is the is a place where nothing is wrong nothing is out of alignment and you know like the kingdom of god is righteousness peace and joy in the holy spirit in the presence of god the kingdom of god is the presence of god and in the presence of god is righteousness wrong things being made right and alignment peace and and joy is the result and so in heaven in the presence of god where well, where god is there's nothing wrong. And when man fell out of fellowship with God in, in Genesis, you know, chapter two there, you know, uh, that's when disease, dis-ease came in. And dis-ease is the antithesis of well-being. And so in the presence of God is fullness of life, abundant life, well-being, thriving. Whereas in the kingdom of darkness is dis-ease. Everything's out of alignment. There's death. There's disconnection. And, and the devil is always wanting to kill us, destroy us by bringing disconnection into our lives. Shame that keeps us in hiding so that we don't actually experience well-being in our life. And so, you know, for a lot of Christians, they think, well, I'm saved. So I guess I should have all this well-being. But the reality is that the enemy's still working to try to get us into a place of dis-ease all the time. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is wooing us into a place of, come on, come on, man, take that next step. Let's go a little deeper. Let's go a little further. So when we're in our worship service and we're like, more of you, Lord, more of you, like, in actuality, we should be saying, oh, more of you in my emotions, more of you in, in my choices, more of you in my relationships, more of you in my finances, more of you in my recreation, just more of you and more of your wellness, more of your well-being in my life. And to me, this is something that goes back into like the way that Christians even approach the kingdom of God in the first place in that you know, we kind of have this idea that the kingdom of God is this place out there in a destination somewhere alone. Like we're going to die. We're going to leave this evil world. We're going to leave our evil body, our evil emotions, our evil desires, and we're going to get translated into abundant life. We're going to get translated into eternal life. But the problem is we think of the king's, you know, the kingdom as the king's domain, a geographic location that's out there somewhere as opposed to the king's dominion, 
the rule and reign of God, the presence of God, the power of God inside of us right now. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within us. And so that abundant life isn't just a promised future, but it's a present reality as well. And sure, we're, we're, I believe like there's, there's other dimensions that we're going to be living in. But right now, God wants us to experience the fullness of his presence and power. And that's translated into a thrive life, abundant life, eternal life. Not that our soul is just saved waiting to go to a place called heaven, but heaven's literally living in us. Emmanuel, God within us. You know, heaven to earth right now, this isn't like a petitional plea of some future event that's going to take place. Although I'm looking forward to the event, but I'm also looking for the entrance plan right now, just not an exit strategy. And that interest, entrance plan looks like God wants us to experience what he's experiencing in his presence in every dimension. And he wants it in our dimension, in our lives, in every area of our life. He wants us to prosper. He wants to bless us. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to have abundant life right now. But there are choices we have to make through our life to, to enter into that. I just said a whole mouthful there, Jonathan. Yeah. And I think you painted a really good picture from the 10,000 foot view. Let's say at one end of the scale is disease and at the other end of the scale is well-being. And Thrive Life was a description of living in that state of well-being or in the fullness of the kingdom in your life. And I've heard a few as far as uh, our emotional life thriving or our financial life thriving. Could you paint a little more of a picture of what does it fully look like in your, from your perception of a full thrive life? So a full thrive life is a comprehensive thrive life. Like, like, okay, let's look at it this way. We've all seen like the circus performers with the poles and the plates and they're balancing like 10 plates, 12 plates on these poles. Yeah. That's kind of our life. And so if we neglect one of the poles, the plate's going to fall and break. And the whole routine is lost at that point because one element broke down. Or let's look at it from a barrel perspective. And we've got staves in a barrel and, and we're filling it up with water. But unfortunately, the, not all the staves in the barrel are the same height. One's way down here. We would call that our minimum factor. So we're pouring all this water of revival, the presence of God into our lives, but say our relationships are out of whack. Yeah. And, you know, we, yeah, we're, we're laughing, we're getting healed, we're healing people, we're seeing people get saved, but our marriage is horrible. And so when we're pouring the water of revival in, it's leaking out of this spot right here. So we can only grow to the level of our minimum factor. And so God wants us to have a fullness of life. He wants to uh, fill us to overflowing. And we think we're overflowing when we're just leaking out of this one little part here. But that's our minimum factor. God's got so much more for us. But all of the staves of the barrel have to be the same height. And so in any kind of business leadership, in any kind of consulting in business, when you go into a business, you look for the minimum factors. Or in church growth, what are the minimum factors preventing full growth? And so you then identify a minimum factor and then you develop a plan and some goals to work on that so that you have a, a better container size so that you can hold more blessing. 
And so that's what I mean by Thrive Life. That So in, we have to have occupational well-being. Like there are lots of people who are like working and they're making a lot of money, but they're not fulfilled inside. And so you know, like statistics are, are coming out now that people are taking less money to work in an environment where they have community and they have passion for what they're doing. And so if you're not in that place of passionate working, you know, if you're not in an occupation that's utilizing your gifts and your talents and abilities, you're not going to be as fulfilled as if you were in a job, maybe lower paying that actually offered you that kind of a thing. So, so when we're talking about thrive, we're not just talking about what we do in church on Sundays. What we're what we're really talking about is letting church on Sundays impact every part of our life throughout the rest of the week. So occupationally, sexually, uh, relationally, environmentally, like taking care of our planet is a big deal in terms of our own well-being. It's like when, I, when I'm eating something in my car, I don't just like toss it out the window. I'm thinking, wow, I want to keep the place that I'm living beautiful. I take care of my house. I work on the flowers. I, I try to get the ambiance just right. So when I go out into the backyard, I'm feeling like thrive. I'm feeling, wow, this feels so good. I'm getting refreshed in this environment. And so I'm taking care of the environment. I'm, I'm taking care of, of um, you know, um, my, my wife, my family, my children, and, and in my emotional well-being. So, so Thrive Life, I've actually identified 12 spheres of, of Thrive in our lives that are crucial in contributing to abundant life here and now. Oh, it's fantastic. And I, I think of, you know, the, the devil's advocate response of, well, we don't see the disciples, the apostles, Jesus talking about this. It seems to be just focused on the new covenant and the gospel and the kingdom. But I think what a lot of people miss is the fact that they already had most of their Thrive Life components in place as a culture because of 1500 years of being the Hebrew people. They had lists of don't eat garbage food like vultures and rats and raccoons. They, they, they had rules and things around, even you have the Song of Songs, you mentioned sex, like they had education in their culture already addressing that. So when Jesus shows up, he's bringing the new covenant, but the rest of the culture, whether it's how they handle their finances and not believing in usury and other things like that, their, their understanding of immigration, border laws, like all these things were already in place in their thinking. And so he brings the component that was missing of unveiling the father for them. But the idea of taking care of your physical body, it's almost assumed by the time you get to the New Testament, taking care of your finances is assumed because it was part of the culture. But then we have the church, which is so focused on salvation gospel only, essentially, that we've let off everything else. So we never talk about your physical health, your financial health, your marriage health, your sex health. What do you think? Well, let me just go a little bit further than that, because I have a you know, I want to see everybody saved. I have a real high value for the whole globe being saved, that John 3.16 is still legitimate, and God is the ultimate globalist who wants to see every single person come into his kingdom through salvation. But salvation 
includes us entering into the presence of God through the Holy Spirit's presence. And the kingdom of God is now ruling our lives. His reign is in our lives so that not to just get us to do things that we didn't want to do, but to actually bless us and to give us abundant life here and now. And so I think that the church has stopped at conversion and, and stops as though these other things don't matter anymore. And so if I can maybe just go into the reason why I think that's the case, I spent about probably 15 years studying Gnosticism because I was really asking the question, why, why did churches get so upset when we laugh, but they're so embracing of repenting all the time and crying and weeping and mourning all the time. But yet when we laugh, it's like irreverent and sacrilegious. And I'm like, why is that? And so I actually deduced this through years. Finally, I came up with the, with, with the understanding that it's all rooted in Gnosticism, Gnostic belief systems that the, the world is completely evil, we're completely evil, our soul is completely evil, our, our mind, our emotions, our will, completely evil, anything we would desire is evil. And so therefore, we're getting saved and we're waiting now to leave this evil earth and go to the to the supreme good, the ideal good, the spiritual realm where God is, where everything will be made okay. And so this also then translates into premillennial dispensational cessationistic eschatology, meaning that we put the kingdom of God off to only a future event like the dispensation, it's the seventh dispensation, we're now in the sixth dispensation, according to dispensationalism, of grace, in which God's allowing us to get saved, and then we hang on using the Bible as our basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E, to hang in there, to wait till we get to go and experience abundant life. And so, our meanwhile, anything that we would desire of food or recreation or money or anything else is completely evil. Our, our feelings are evil. So if we're feeling afraid, if, oh, repent and, and quit being afraid, you know, suck it up and read the scriptures, be thankful and everything, rejoice, right? And, and we never, ever deal with what's going on inside of us because we think that it's lost. It's a lost cause. It's completely evil and can never be redeemed. But the fact of the matter is God made us with emotions. God made us relational. God made us with desires. And he said, it is good. It is good. And so when man sinned, we didn't lose our intrinsic value of goodness that God declared. No, we, we, we messed up. And we need to repent. We need to get back into fellowship. And it required a sacrifice. And Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. So now we can live in revival rest, according to Hebrews 4. And now we can rest in the fact that we're approved. We don't have to strive anymore. And we're new in every way. And so we're a new creation in Christ. And we're not no longer sinners saved by grace. We were sinners saved by grace. But now we're saints saved by grace. And so... The church has taught for so long this Gnostic message that we're always going to be sinners, saved by grace, waiting to go to a place called heaven, which is, it's so ridiculous. The devil has so duped the church into derailing us of the blessings that we have in Christ now, the thrive life that we have available to us now. And so anyway, 
I wrote a book called Gnosticize, The Truth Will Set You Free. It's on my website, kevindudman.com, if anybody wants to check that out. I actually trace the, the origins of Gnosticism to the Garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, all the way through uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, Mesopotamian religions, Sumerian religions, Egyptology, through Platoism, through Judaism, through Christianity, through today. And uh, anyway, so I think that's why we don't talk about this stuff. We don't think it matters, and we don't think that we can actually change anything. Absolutely, I, I I love that, and I'm I'm so intrigued. Actually, I didn't know that book was out there, so you got you got me stirred up. Um, so I am I'm curious. So Kevin Dedman has always lived the thrive life, right? No. <laughs> no. Is there is there anything that gets in the way of people living in the thrive life? Yeah. Okay. So, so I lived in a thrive life at different staves in the barrel. Ooh, there you go. Okay. And so and I can honestly say that I had genuine godly desire and, and godly ministry in various areas of my life. But there were other areas of my life that were broken early on in my life that I just never addressed. And they didn't go away. Like, so maybe I should just share a little bit about my background sure. growing up briefly. I was, I was raised in a family. We didn't go to church. Uh, my, my father was a, a hardcore blue collar worker. He was a carpenter his, his whole working life very hardworking, very performance-oriented. All of his, he had four brothers. His father started this construction business and they were all in the business. All of their friends were in the business. Everything revolved around carpentry, building homes. My, my family built most of the homes in Orange County, uh, track homes, and, and I mean, they, would, they were the fastest and the best. And, and their whole identity was wrapped up into their work. And they grew up in a family where emotions were not tolerated other than anger. And we didn't share our feelings ever. We just spoke through our feelings. Like if we were offended or felt minimized, you know, and, and so I grew up in this place with my dad where I would never share my feelings and I would never even share my anger because he was bigger than me. And, and he would, you know, if he was in any kind of a bad mood, just hit me or, or well, hit me, or at least yell at me and cuss me out or whatever. And so I learned to isolate from my dad a lot growing up and hiding from him and afraid of him that if any, if I did anything wrong, he'd get really mad. And so I played sports all my growing up years. And, you know, I was a true dead man. I won at everything. And, and if I didn't win, and, and even if I won sometimes, he'd never compliment me, but he would just point out something I could have done a little bit better. And, and in a matter of fact kind of way, not in a helpful kind of way, but you know, you know, you, you, uh, you didn't strike out that one batter and, and you had him 0-2, you know, like kind of a thing. And, uh, and so my mother, on the other hand, uh, she minimized my my feelings all the time and and uh just dismissed me a lot and and was very critical she she had a really tough life growing up i think 
there was like issues of trauma in her own life, in her own life, the sexual stuff and all, you know, abuse and everything. And she obviously, she had a problem with men and she really took it out on me. And she would constantly say I was ugly, that I was stupid, that I was never going to amount to anything. I was going to be just like my dad because all my dad was, was a good carpenter. He wasn't, he never read a book. He, he, he was not a business guy. He was not, he was not a musician. He was, the only thing he did was, you know, he, he built houses really fast and, and well, and he, he bowled, he, he had one of the highest bowling averages and, and he could, you know, he could dance really good. But other than that, he wasn't, a, you know, an intelligent, like he wasn't an educated person. He was very intelligent though, but my mom didn't respect him. And so she took it out on me. And, and uh, so I grew up never being able to share my feelings or emotions with my mom. Like, for example, if I would cut my knee open, which I did one time, I came in, it was bleeding all over my my, my, down my leg. And my mom looked at, Oh, it's not that bad. Quit being a baby. Like it's not that bad. And I had to go have 13 stitches and I'm, you know, six years old, I'm traumatized. And she's like, it's not that bad. You're like, stop it. And so I yeah, learned. And that's, that's more surprising on a, from a mother as well. I mean, you, you hear that from a dad minimizing, you know, trauma, pain stuff like that but that you expect that nurturing on the on the motherly feminine side so that well, that was perfect. that's why i don't agree with all these delineations between men and women's roles kind of and and the way that men and women think i think it's more environmental and i think it's you know we're all created in the image of god and we all have the full array of emotions and the enemy has a full array of survival tactics to keep us safe as well, which we'll get into in a minute. Interesting. Uh, okay. That's so, it. so in addition to that, then when I was seven years old, we went on a family vacation. We came back and my piggy bank was gone, and uh, my and there was the only thing gone in the house. And my dad said, "Oh, your best friend Billy broke in and stole your piggy bank." And I had probably about fifty dollars in there, and this is it like a long time ago. That was a lot of money back yeah. then. Before so I told my dad, I said, my friend Billy would never do something like that to me. No way. So the next day I see Billy and he's, he lives down the street and he's riding a brand new skateboard. And I know that Billy doesn't have money for a skateboard. And, and I'm like, where'd you get that skateboard? Oh, my mom gave it to me. I said, and so anyway, I ended up beating him up. I actually chased him into his house and his mom was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I was going to beat her up too. And, and I beat the crap out of him. And, and I lost my best friend that day. And, and I vowed that I would never have a best friend again. And so all through my growing up years, I, I, I just didn't trust people. I, I kept them at a distance. I, I would, you know, if they got in a little too close and I felt some danger, I would dismiss them. And so I learned well, and then after that, like, this is like leading up to this whole thing. I was also obviously looking for a father figure, a mother figure, so to speak as well. And so my older cousin would, would babysit us all the time. And he was five years older than me and he started molesting me. And he did that for three years. And, and I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know why. I just knew it didn't feel right at all. But yet I wanted his love so much. I wanted his appreciation and attention so much. I just went along with this until 
I finally was like, whoa, whoa, this is, this is sick. This is, this is not right. And, and, uh, but I never told anybody about it. And then about two years later, I got saved and I thought, well, all right, it's all under the blood now. It's, it's all washed away. I'm a new creation in Christ. And so I buried this thing, number one, because I was ashamed. And number two, I thought if I shared it, people would think I'd be a pedophile or something like that, because a lot of pedophiles have a history of, of abuse growing up. And so I never shared with anybody until about seven years ago, eight years ago, when I finally came to the end of myself in my own trauma journey and was so disconnected and so in crisis that I had nowhere else to go. So I thought, I, I just finally decided I have nothing to lose now. I'm sharing everything. And that's what actually then set me free. But what happened in the meantime was when all this trauma was happening, my dad, my mom, my friends, like who would reject me, my cousin who abused me, it, it developed in me the survival tactic of an attachment style of dismissive avoidance. So if I felt any kind of threat coming from you, I would figure out some way to get you out of my, my sphere of influence. And I would only share so far because if I went over the line, then you are going to reject me. And so what that forced me to do was live in a private self in public instead, I mean, a, a, a public self in private, I should say. So let me just rewind that whole thing. What it forced me to do was for acceptance and approval, I lived a public self of me wherever I went. My private self was never let out. Mm. So nobody ever knew me, which then invited shame to come because I always felt not enough. I always felt, oh, if, every, if, if everyone knew the real me, they wouldn't like the stage Kevin. They wouldn't like the healing revivalist Kevin. And so... I, and I watched other people around me, they would be vulnerable, and they'd get burned, or they'd get caught, and they'd get burned. It didn't even matter if, you know, and then they'd say, well, you know, David, you know, confess to the Lord. Yeah, right. After he, you know, lied and killed some, uh, you know, the, the woman's husband, and then was in denial until Nathan came along when they were going to have a baby, you know, and, and then he like finally confessed. You know, David was not the spectacular repenter until it came to like the point where he couldn't refuse it anymore. And then he did repent. And then God, you know, took the, the child, but crazy. The, the kingdom, the, the, the Messiah came out of David and Bathsheba in Solomon. Mm -hmm. I talk about redemption, but the church just doesn't go there. So I saw all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh man, I, I, God, help me, help me, help me. And then he's like, why don't you just be vulnerable? And I'm like, you, are you kidding? Like, we can't do this. You know, look what happens. And so I developed this whole lifestyle of protecting myself, which I thought was healthy at first when I was a kid. But then later on, it, it led to so much disconnection in my life and dysfunction that I could not experience wellness in most areas of my life, especially relational and emotional. That was a long answer. Oh, that's, that's so good though and uh, I mean how many of us can relate to you had some trauma and you thought nobody would understand and you'd be judged and you'd be alienated and so 
run and hide it. And, you know, that, that fracture between the outside presentation of yourself and your interior world and those not being integrated and the inauthenticity that you know is there, but you also know you need it to protect yourself. Right. So, so obviously I said six, uh, seven, eight years ago, you hit that wall, you started sharing, you start being open. Finally, things come to the light out, out of your, out of your past. What did the process of healing that look like? Cause I know there's EMDR, there's lots of modalities. Like what did you, what did you do that helped you bring healing to the childhood trauma? Okay. So really the first thing I did was I, I read books by Brene Brown. Yeah. And I know some people, some Christians have a problem with her, you know, she's been on some, some podcasts, you know, like home, you know, like that are promoting homosexuality, but the reality is she's not for homosexuality necessarily. She's into well-being, and wherever we can go to bring that, you know, Jesus went to tax collectors and sinners and like, I'd be happy to be on a podcast that's that's being done by homosexuals to go on and talk about the true thrive life right so anyway Brene Brown in in her first three books especially in uh the gift of imperfection then the second one daring greatly and then rising strong her third book by the I read those book two books two or three times before I finally it started to sink in that I'm okay that God made me good to start celebrating who I was in that little boy space down hiding in the basement for fear of rejection and abuse, right? And so that was like the first step, just me becoming aware of some parts of myself that I had put down in the basement for so many years and locked in there and threw the key away. And I was living in the living room with what I would call survivor man. You know, mm. I was just surviving, not thriving. But when you're living, you know, a little higher than you were before, you think, Woo-hoo, this is abundant life. But that's like eating spam your whole life and then eating filet mignon and like, wow, this is amazing. And then somebody says, hey, you want to go back to spam? And you're like, no, I, I want I want to know how we can make filet mignon different ways now. And so... So for me, like the part of the journey was just realizing that there was some filet, there was some filet mignon out there and, and that there was a different way of experiencing God, encountering God, and, and also a different way of me viewing who I was. And so some of this Gnostic research that I did helped me to realize that I had bought into the whole I'm saved, I'm now a new creation, and the flesh, my emotions are are evil. I, I, I just said, whoa, this is crazy. I have become a Christian Gnostic without trying because it really fed into my trauma of growing up so well, I couldn't ignore everything. And, and so, so then I took the next step and said, okay, I'm gonna start sharing my feelings. Okay, well, first of all, I didn't even know what the feeling words were. Like somebody had asked me, well, how are you doing? Good. Like, can you expand on that? Yeah, really good. (laughs) I mean, how are you doing? Bad. Can you expand on that? Yeah, really bad. 
And so I had to like print out all the different categories of feelings and all of the synonyms of the nuances of that word in columns. And I would bring it around with me. And as I was talking with people or writing an email to somebody, I would look at this list and go, hmm, okay. Oh, that's what I'm feeling. <laughs> and it took me about a year before mm -hmm. I could actually describe to somebody, oh, I'm really feeling dismissed. I'm feeling devalued right now. I'm feeling lonely. Yeah. And usually it would just be, what's wrong? I'm just having a bad day. Why? I don't know. I'm just having a bad day and you're making it worse. <laughs> you know? so, so then I was able to start listening to other people's feelings. And then I realized I had no empathy because mm -hmm. I grew up in an empathy deficient family. Like my mom minimized, denied everything. My dad wouldn't talk about anything. So, I mean, I took a test. I took an assessment one time early on in our marriage. We've been now married 45 years. But early on, the therapist looked at me and said, I've never seen anything like this. You, you rank zero on empathy. I've never seen anybody get a zero on empathy. And I'm like, whoa, like, I guess I can work on that. But I had no clue how to do it. And, and so I started going into a journey of learning how to actually empathize with me and with others. And here's the deal. We can only love God, really. Well, our, let's face it. Our love of God should impact the way we love ourselves that impacts the way we love others, which are the first two commandments. And so, so empathy was a big, big part of this for me. And then... Uh, my wife journeying along with this process. And she found, we both knew, she needed a lot of work in areas as well, which was bringing, you know, her trauma, my trauma coming together was like a train wreck. My attachment theory, you know, my attachment style was dismissive avoidant. Hers was uh, anxious avoidant. And so, she was always trying, do you love me? Do you love me? And I'm like, get away, get away. And, and, and then, you know, she then would always not want to connect because she didn't feel good enough. And I always felt attacked. And so it was a train wreck. And so we started working on empathy together. And there was a book that we read. It's, it's called um, uh, The Connection Codes, plural. And the connection codes is all about developing empathy in connection to get intimacy. Mm. And so we started doing that and man, that changed our whole world. It changed our world together and it changed my world within me to be able to be present with what I was feeling and to sometimes be okay, not being okay. And, and then to allow that little boy to come up and say, I need this. I need that. I want this. I'm afraid here. I'm, I'm feeling lonely here. I'm feeling angry about this. And to be able to, to share my feelings in a way that's constructive, that allows me to get my needs met, not only from others, but from God. Wow. Well, I'm thinking as you're talking about the attachment styles and just it can be hard sometimes when people are taking this journey, maybe they've crashed their life, their marriage, their business, whatever, their ministry. And uh, to hear some of these things like uh, like a label, like, oh, you're, you're uh, avoidant dismissive, 
and it's like oh now i now i have a label or narcissism or sex addict or whatever like that whole process of labels especially for christians i think is can be very difficult to work with what give me some thoughts on that yeah well we learn attachment styles we learn communication styles so our brain is plastic so our neurotransmitters that are firing into different responses that we have those can all be changed. Uh, Caroline Leaf actually has some great stuff on cognitive therapy that's been around for a long time. We can literally change the way our brain works. Uh, like, like drug addicts can actually change their urges and desires from using drugs and they can change the dopamine neurotransmitter pathways in their brain through, through making other habits and, and depleting the, the, the rut that we have in our brain leading towards this response. And so the reality is when, when I was experiencing this trauma in my life, this survivor man, so to speak, the devil was coming in and saying, hey, this will make you feel better. Like, like hey, reject all these people. You want to stay safe, you know, take this drug, you know, do this event. And, you know, I got into all these beeps, behaviors, events, experiences, you know, pleasures and and substances to try to numb the pain that i was experiencing that i had so disassociated from before but i've never, I've never heard that acronym let's pause for a second beeps say, say the say the words again behavior yeah so whenever we have trauma in our life yeah whenever okay trauma is broken down into two segments basically abuse like it could be as much as like sexual abuse or or just criticism okay. and abandonment, which could be a parent died or divorce in the family, you know, you're, you're, or you're minimized, you know, in your feelings. So, so trauma kind of goes off into abandonment or abuse and abandonment. Mm. So when we have those things, we need comfort. We need nurture. And if we're not going to get it from our the people around us, especially our parents and you know significant people in our lives, then we're going to turn to alternative artificial substances or behaviors, you know, like get away from me, like no, 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 we're not going there, or like rejecting people before they can reject you, that's a behavior, or like like setting yourself up to fail, that's a behavior. Um, you know, experiences. Like some people use revival conferences as experiences to numb themselves from having to feel what they're really feeling. And they think they're going to feel they're going to have more abundant life and thrive life if they go to enough conferences and they get done with that. And they're in the same spot that they were before because they're still there in the mirror with themselves. So experiences, events, you know, whether it's like adventure events, risk taking, uh, you know, events you know, going to parties all the time, going to concerts all the time, conferences all the time. So experiences, events, um, pleasures, you know, where, you know, whether it's sexual pleasures, eating pleasures, shopping pleasures, you know, pleasures, and then substances, you know, alcohol, drugs, uh, you know, sexual stuff, all that, all that kind of stuff, like would be in beeps. And so, you know, when we're, evaluating what's controlling our lives 
oftentimes it's these beeps that we've developed to nurture us, comfort us in some way so that we can have a semblance of well-being inside of us. Problem is those things all lead to death. Those things are part of dis-ease. They don't lead to life. Life, they lead to death. And so the enemy's always coming to kill, steal, and to destroy. How does he do that? We've got a trauma in our life, a rejection of an expectation that wasn't met, whatever, in any part of life. God killed my brother. You know, oh, well, yeah, God doesn't love you. God doesn't have a good plan for you. He's not a good God. Here, you know, just go after this business that I'm going to give you, and that will be your God. That will be your And now, of course, we have a whole world that's filled with humanistic globalists who have no need for God because the church has never been there to help them with their trauma stuff. So Survivor Man has given them this way of feeling in control, of of numbing out, of not having to deal with all that stuff that needs to be dealt with, to have true well-being. So we've got all these sexual identity, gender dysfunction going on of people, they don't even know who they are, and they're trying to take care of it physiologically. And then afterwards, they find out it didn't help at all. And so, so anyway, when we're when we're talk, putting labels on people, whether you're, you know, that's why I hate the term addict, and I don't really like S A A A A N A, you know, whatever A A kind of thing. I like some of it, but I don't like the fact that they put you into this box that you're always going to be a sinner saved by grace. You're always going to be an addict saved by grace. No, no, no. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. And we move from sinner to saint in Christ. Now, some in some of our life, we're still on the side of the cross and we just need to get it redeemed. And that is a work of his grace in our lives. I can't strive to do it. I can just partner with the grace of God that's enabling me to take a risk to step out and be vulnerable. And so, you know, like if you're an extrovert or an introvert or, you know, like, you know, Myers-Briggs or, you know, your strength finders comes up with this, we can change all of this. We, we can become the person that, that we were actually intended to be. And oftentimes we're extroverted just to cover up something. Like I used to be a 10-0 extrovert. And now I realize that was just my fallback to protect myself from getting deeper. So now I love being with myself. I love being just with one other person and hanging out and sharing on a deeper, intimate, connected level because I'm more well than I've ever been in my life. But when I was full of dis-ease, I wanted to stay away from people. So I just thought, oh, I'm an extrovert. I used to say my love language is everything but touch, not no touch. But then I realized that was because I was abused when I was growing up. And so I was actually like neglecting that element that God's provided oxytocin in us to feel secure, to feel connected. And so all of a sudden I realized, wow, actually I'm a high touch kind of person. I've just neglected that my whole life. And in fact, with all those love languages, man, we're supposed to have all of them going on. Like not just one, like don't limit yourself. And so like our brain can change And then once those defenses comes down, we don't have to protect ourselves anymore. We can actually live out loud authentically, congruent with our private self out in public. 
that was I, another I long answer, John. Where that, no, no, that's so good where it lands, especially is the that goal of living that authentic, integrated life. And it's it's something we don't talk about so often. It seems like a lot of a lot of the church approach kind of approaches uh, this area like a magic wand. You know, we just sort of wave a wand and you know, fix things. And it's like, no, it's a lot of work to actually become integrated and authentic. And yes. it will change who you are as a person in the process. And there's a meat grinder you go through, but it's good. And, and so with the, um, just jumping back to the question of the process uh, that, that you walk through of, um, of healing, the avoidant dismissive and what uh what tools or what experience you know you did what three sozos and you were all better or like give, give us a <laughs> no so this has been a journey and and it's still a journey every day is is another place where i'm learning i'm growing i've learned to be curious learn to ask questions i've learned to do you know a check-in every day with myself like okay how how am i doing at being present with god like, am I like conscious of his presence with me right now? Am I, am I present with myself? Am I engaged in what I'm experiencing right now? Am I, you know, am I present with my family, with my wife? Uh, am, I, am I being triggered right now? Like, and, and like the, the reality is when we're triggered, all it's doing is it's actually a blessing when we're triggered in temptation because it's showing, oh, there's something in there that needs some comfort or some nurture. And so then the question is, okay, how can I meet this legitimate need I have for comfort or companionship, con connection in a legitimate way? I used to like try to meet that legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And now I'm being present with myself enough to see, okay, I need this. I need to be heard right now. Okay, how can I be heard in a legitimate way that brings well-being? And so this is this is just a you know a process and and yes I've gone through you know about you know pro, well numerous sozos and I do sozo myself now yeah yeah it's, I, was it's, quite, I, was I have quite, a conversation with God you know like the scripture that says man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God well that word rhema is actually the act of communication Jesus was saying, you know, this isn't a revealed scripture. No, this is actually, I'm having a conversation with God. And so I've learned to live my life now with, in a conversation with God, conversation with myself, a conversation with others that brings connection through vulnerability that's authentic. And so, yes, I had to take risk along the way. I had to trust certain people. And then along the way, I learned, oh, you know, this isn't a person that's trustworthy. This is not a person who's safe. So I only go like so far in my vulnerability, depending on who I'm with as well. The important thing is I have people in my life now who I am vulnerable with on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis. How's your heart doing, Kevin? You know, how's your heart doing, Jonathan? And like, instead of like, oh, good. No, like actually substance to it. Like actually my heart was wounded the other day when, when, you know, da, 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 like, you know, and, and having that kind of growing journey, it's like, I've experienced more life than ever. And I can tell you that 
Also a key to this is celebrating every little breakthrough, having joy in the process, celebrating who we are, even when we know we're not quite what we want to be yet, like in our, like presenting who we want to be. And, and, and God is so patient. He's so kind. You know, when my son was growing up, the garage just looked like a cyclone hit it one day. He'd been in there for a couple of weeks, just throwing everything all over. And I couldn't park in the garage one day. I said, okay, Chad, my son, I want this garage cleaned up in 15 minutes or else, right? And so I come back in. Now he's playing with some lost toy that he had lost. And as he's finding, you know, cleaning stuff up and nothing's really done. And I'm like, Chad, I mean it. You better have this garage cleaned up. But by the next time I get out here and I came back another 10 minutes, now he's buying some GI Joe toy or transformer thing. And he's playing with that. And, and I said, okay, the next time I come out, you're getting a spanking. And uh, Teresa was out doing the laundry in the garage and she follows me into the house and she goes, Kevin, I don't think, I think he's overwhelmed. I don't think he knows where to start. And Holy spirit downloaded to me how father, how my daddy in heaven treats my life like my 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 life was like a messed up garage and and father didn't come and say you better have all this cleaned up in 15 minutes and i realized oh whoa that's right so i went back out and i said hey chad i want you to get all of your gi joe men and, and vehicles put them in this box and when you're done let me know well two minutes later all right dad i got the gi joes in Okay, now I want you to get all the different balls, football, tennis balls, volleyballs, basketballs, you know, every kind of ball you can imagine. Put them over here. Come and get me. Two minutes later, all right, dad, I got all those. And then it was something else. And like pretty quick, it was all cleaned up. And the, and the, the father said, Kevin, that's the way I am. That's the way I look at your life. And that's the way I treat you. You're on a journey here. I love you at the beginning the middle and the end, the same. And it freed me up so much to be able to start receiving, you know, joy in the process. I, I love it. I love it. And Chad was what, 25 years old at the time, right? <laughs> well, this was young, but it took me a long time to actually realize that in my life too. I, I love hearing the personal story. Chad's a good friend, obviously, as well of mine and, and, Wow, it, it's so true because I have kids that age and and they don't know all of what to do. So when you say big picture, they just don't they're they're stuck. And I think, wow, that that's so relatable for us as adults too. Like clean up your emotional life. I have no idea where to start. Uh, you know, lose 50 pounds. Uh, what do I drink water? I don't know. So I I want to bring one one question back. So you have this friend, you have the skateboard, you make this inner vow about not having a best friend. And then you're describing the present as far as you have people that you connect with and trust and you're vulnerable and you're open. So there's a huge you know, journey there from here to here. And I would think a huge part of the journey was the word trust. And from, I didn't trust people to now I have chosen to trust people any any thoughts on that process? Because that's such a huge thing to move from not trusting to trusting. I've I've struggled with that. Probably yeah. lots of people struggle with that. Most people in churches do because we've not only been family hurt, but we've also been church hurt. There you go. Yeah. And so 
some, some of us look for places that are very disconnected so we don't have to even trust or we don't have to take risk in relationship. Everything's on the surface and nobody ever goes deep in any way. And it's all just about like a miracle. Somebody got healed here or somebody got saved here. And that's amazing. I want to be part of that culture all the time, but I want to have real connection. Also, I want to have like what's in heaven. I mean, there's complete unity in heaven. There's complete connection in heaven. There's no disconnection ever in heaven. There's complete vulnerability in heaven. There's complete trust. And so, so sometimes, you know, we put ourselves in places where there's, where we don't expect trust to come to us and we don't give it either. And we're okay with it. And so for some, we have to go and seek out some, some relationships and some environments where we can start growing in this. And so, you know, that might be in, in an AA group or an NA group where, some, where people are actually really sharing their, their real raw private selves just to get used to sharing, okay? And then, you, might, you know, finding people who are vulnerable and asking some open-ended questions like, so tell me, like, what were some of the things that you struggled with when you were growing up that kept you, you know, that, that prevented you from having the kind of relationships you wanted or connection. And if they open up and you're like, woo, okay, I've got somebody here, it's a potential. And then you share something and you see whether or not they reject you or tell somebody else about it. And if they do, you say, well, that person's not gonna be in the arena with me anymore, but I'm not gonna quit taking risk. I'm gonna go find somebody else. Because in my journey, I had some people like that. And I could have, in the old days, I'd have been, see, this doesn't work out. You can't trust anybody. This person was a, and that wouldn't have helped me. That would have been the devil's design plan to derail me from my true destiny of having congruency with who I am, love between God and I and others. And so I had to take some more risk. And then I started finding people who were like you who could hear my heart and not judge it and not add shame, but rather add encouragement and add a listening ear that says, yeah, we've got this yeah. together. And so that's what we're looking for. We're looking for comrades because the devil is always going to come kill, steal, and destroy. And he often uses people to hurt us. But people hurt us, but also then God uses people to heal us. Confess your faults one to another so that you might be healed. And, you know, those faults aren't just the things that we do, but the things maybe that are done to us. And those things are never going to get taken care of until they come out into the light. And the only way they're going to come out of the light is if we take risk to trust somebody with our heart. And so take baby steps. Test the waters, but go deep. Go to the deep end. Because, man, there's nothing like the deep end. And I want to be in the deep end of revival. I want to see the whole world saved. I want to see cancers bowing to the name of Jesus when I declare your kingdom come, your will be done. I mean, we just had a four-stage cancer healing in our little community here in Orange County that I just laughed over this woman. She was dying, four-stage cancer, and she's completely healed now. Cat scans came back with zero cancer. I love that. But what I love more than that is I just heard the guy, the, the, the guy's, um, it was this guy's mother-in-law, and he, this guy and his wife are now 
their marriage is reconnecting and they're starting to share in a deep and vulnerable way that they never have in their life. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that's, that's as miraculous as the cancer healed, maybe more so. <laughs> wow. Oh man. So, so good. Such a good balance too. Um, Kevin, what, where can people go? What should you, what would you want to recommend to people from here as far as thrive life and growing in that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, first of all, I think reading anything about the relational part of the brain, like the joy switch is a really good book uh, to start investigating how our brain is even wired by God. Our DNA is designed to experience joy in relationship. And when we don't experience that, we, we run away, we, we disconnect. And so it really talks about the brain neuroscience of how we actually connect with people and the need for it and then giving some tools as well. But then the second book is the connection codes, plural, C-O-D-E-S. The connection codes book is a practical tool that you can implement right away on learning how to be empathetic to yourself, to others and with God. And then the third thing is I would totally recommend, you know, reading Brene Brown's books, uh, also on my website, kevindedman.com, uh, I uh, actually summarize all of Brene Brown's stuff into about six different uh, blogs that, and I, I call it never the shame again. Mm. And so, you know, getting back to those titles, guilt says we did something wrong. Shame says we are wrong. And shame is never from God. Condemnation is never from God. It's what's it's what the devil uses to kill, steal, and to destroy with. God always brings guilt for our benefit so that we can get into a thrive life. And so never the shame again. But yes, we need guilt. We need, we need you know, the light to come on, revelation, so we can be led into more truth, so we can be more free. And so Renee Brown is just a great, safe way for me to come into this place of, of just the journey into being curious about why I'm feeling the way I am and why I'm doing the things I am and, and, and getting some freedom. Yeah. So those three, you know, resources, I think are, are so amazing. That's wonderful. And then my Gnosticized book, go to, go to my website and get that because that'll give you a great understanding of why we're in the shape we are as a church and as Christians. Mm. Is, there a, is there an audiobook for that one it's only an ebook right now because i just finished it before um go right before covid and so i i have not like uh put it into a uh you know a, a book form and 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 i haven't it's my own i've published it myself so i've, I've not done the audio version and it's also done in a shakespearean play-like manner so I have 12 jurors, a judge, and, and a prosecutor, and then I bring up all the Gnostics in church history, as well as those who are fighting against Gnosticism in the New Testament and in the early church, up to the witness stand. So I've got all these different characters in this book, and so all these Gnostics in the church history are speaking their own quotes on the stand. And, and wow. So it's a narrative. Wow. It's a play actually it's a modern play depicting gnosticism in the 21st century of like how we've gotten to this place and then we're gonna we have three days of jury deliberation 
on why Gnosticism is so infiltrated the church and how it's so robbed the church of our of the glory that God wants us to have and disseminate over the earth. Now, is that available on Kindle or is that a uh, KevinDedman.com? Or... Yeah, KevinDedman.com. Just download it off of my website. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, <laughs> this has been tremendous. I Everything I was hoping to uh, get into. And thank you so much, Kevin. It's been I wonderful. love you, Jonathan. And yeah. just so happy to be partnering with you. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening and have a great day. Oh